Hello and welcome back to Dear Adam Silver. My name is Abigail Smithson and as always I am your host and thank you so much for listening. Today's guest is visual artist Noel W. Anderson. Noel was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, and received an MFA from Indiana University in Printmaking and an MFA from Yale University in Sculpture. He is the area head of printmaking at New York University's Steinhardt Department of Art and Art Professions. His work has been exhibited across the United States and internationally, and in 2018 he was the recipient of the New York Foundation for the Arts Artist Fellowship Grant. On his website, it states that he primarily focuses on the mediation of socially constructed images on identity formation as it relates to black masculinity and celebrity. I first saw Noel's work back in January. His series Get Lifted was what first drew me in. For this work, he uses and distorts found images of basketball players' shoes as they are leaving the ground to dunk. Noel and I discussed this series, among others, on today's show. And I really believe that Noel's work asks questions of photographs, questions of constructs, and questions of his audience. He also presents to his viewers the value of undoing before doing, that undoing can be a productive act, which is an idea that is more relevant now than ever. I'm so grateful to him for coming on the show and joining me for a conversation. I also just want to mention, uh, before we get to the episode, that I think right now is a time for sort of difficult conversations, difficult questions, trying to answer things that um, seem challenging. And sometimes uh, it's, it's really hard to unpack some of these bigger issues. Uh, the system of white supremacy that the United States has been built on, uh, even before it was officially a country, has, we're now, um, I mean, we have been and now are in a very dramatic way, reckoning with that. And I think conversations, having open conversations around it, sometimes aren't pretty, uh, but necessary uh, for there to be uh, some undoing in some way. So thank you so much for listening. I also want to mention that Noel and I recorded this episode back on June 5th, um, so over two weeks ago. And so a lot has happened since then. A lot is happening all the time right now. But I just, uh, so some, you know, some, some news has taken place that we are not accounting for necessarily in this, in this podcast. And I just want to make that, make that clear. Okay. So thank you so much for listening and, uh, take care of yourselves. Yeah. Well, um, how would anybody be doing when you realize, or you don't have to really, you didn't realize, how, how would anybody be, be doing, um, when the world finally realizes they're killing you. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Right? So black folks have been telling every white folks for years, you're killing us. And folks have said, oh, no. Those people, they're, they're, not, they're not being beat up by the police. They're, they're resisting arrest. That's how Richard Pryor would say it. Um, you don't want to go outside some days, you see. I jog a lot. I believe black folks need to be healthy. So I jog a lot. You don't, uh, my partner says, you have an hour, be back in an hour. Mm -hmm. If I don't come back in an hour, she calls. You understand. But we're doing the best we can with what we have. That's what they say where I'm from, which is Louisville, Kentucky. 
Mm-hmm. Which we can get into that too if you want. That's some tough stuff. Happening sure. There. Yes, definitely. Um, right. Um, so how are you doing? Oh, no. I, I mean, I think I'm not, I, I'm experiencing this differently than you, but I hope with the same earnestness as far as wanting, uh, or, or just co- coming from it in a place, Arriving at a place of, um, I just this is not this has not happened in this way before. Uh, as far uh, as the, the reaction, the or the oh, the, the yeah. wide the amount or how many different areas it's touching slash the way it's being handled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I just I'm I'm just you know um, figuring out how what I can do and. Um, what 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 feels good to to put out into the universe and to 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 be someone who wants to um yeah just uh make this moment last until it's a substantial change yeah that, that that's always a you know that's a that's that's a hell of an aim that's a great aim oh yeah i mean it's <laughs> Yeah, I'm hoping yeah, it's not yeah. as naive as it sounds. Um, but, no, but, I don't think it's naive at all. I think it's hopeful. Uh, you know, um, it's weird, right? You say um, this, 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 the belief in there's the American ideology that if you work hard, you become something in this world, um, and that works for some people and not all. So if we were to look at, you know. Um, because I know we're going to talk about athletes today, I, I would I would think. Yeah, I think we'll get uh, there, hopefully. Right? If we were to think about athletes, you know, people who work extremely hard, they're still not as free as they want to be. No. Um, and, you know, I, frankly, I have to be honest with everyone, right? You have to say, be honest. Um, I'm tired. You know, I, I, I related to the, the relationship to, the, to basketball or at least to athletics. You say, this person, this male or this female goes off to this field this arena and works their ass off, man. And before, prior to getting there, the precondition of that is that they work their ass off just to get onto the field. Mm-hmm. Right. And now you want us to also tell people that we're being killed and also protest and fight for the same old shit. Well, hell I'm tired. Man. Right. I'm tired. Black folks are tired. We've done more than enough for this world. That's where I am. Yes, and that is why the other day I, when we were texting, I was just thinking, I just didn't want to add to your list. No, no, I appreciate you giving me that, allowing me that that time to, uh, to uh, I would say marinate, sure. you know, find my mental space and find my center, which I was able, I think I've been able to do, thank, thanks to uh, Nina Simone. Yes. I know she. I've. I was just listening to another lecture of yours where she comes up. I know she's. She's a regularly, regularly occurring. Uh, yeah. Part of your work. Everyone, right? Everyone must have allies. Mm-hmm. Dead or alive, they must have allies. You must be able to call on them or cite them when you need to. And she's just one of my surrogate mothers. You know, I was listening to another um, a reading that another surrogate mother, Maya Angelou, did. Uh, I think a Paul Lawrence Dunbar uh, poem. I think it's called We Wear the Mask. And I realized that um, there are different ways in which black folks um, protect ourselves and, you know, 
we always wear the mask. We all do that. Um, but there seems to be a moment when wearing the mask or protecting oneself in a social spaces that we need to also recognize that when you get home, when you return home, right? You return home, beat, beat the hell up, and somebody got to repair you. And if you're lucky, you have people in your life who will repair you. And sometimes you may not have those people, but you have to find strategies of, uh, of medication, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about like substance abuse because I don't believe in it. But the time I spent from what we're supposed to talk, we were talk, we're supposed to have a meeting. We can do this on Wednesday. Now we're doing it Friday. That's right. Okay. Within those, that, that two day span, I was able to go to my allies and, you know, you can't speak to all of them. Right. But I was able to go to my family. Nina's a part of my family mm-hmm. and request her, her sound to repair my, my, my ailing body. And she did. And when I, when I, when I uh, get wounded again, which I'm sure we will be wounded again, this is not going to stop. Sure. At least I'm, I, I'm not, I'm I'm not sure it's going to stop in our lifetime. Hopefully it will stop one day. But when I, when I have to, I'll go back to Nina or I'll go back to Coltrane or I'll go back to Monk. Uh, or I'll go to Maya and I'll sit at their feet and they'll repair me. Yeah, that is, a, um, I don't, I mean, I just think that, okay? that it's important to acknowledge. Yeah. That's just an important thing to acknowledge but, that that is an, a necessity when the the world is the rest of the world is not offering you that yeah it's weird because you you grow up learning uh as as a uh, black and brown people that you got to work harder than everybody else but you don't you don't really learn uh self-care mm-hmm. right i mean the athlete learns self-care because the athlete understands that if my leg doesn't work then i don't get paid my family doesn't eat but that's not real self-care that's just repairing the machine self-care is repairing the human and that's an inner thing right uh and i think that uh i think that in this moment of covid19 where people may not be able to go see their healthcare workers by which i mean the psychiatrist or psychologist or whatever Mm -hmm. there are other ways that black folks prior to these conditions got through or came through and singing was one of them, uh, laughter, crying, you know. Uh, matter of fact, may I tell you a story? Please. Now, the other day, it was like, it was last Friday. I was, I wake up early in the morning. You see, I'm about five o'clock in the morning. I like to be up. Um, I go jogging in Bronx around seven o'clock. So I go from, I live in Harlem. And I jog across the 135th Bridge to the Bronx. I, I get lost in the Bronx. It's beautiful. I love it over there. South Bronx is gorgeous. Um, and I remember I was jogging and I don't remember what song I was listening to, but I hit this apex after going up a hill. I hit the top of this apex in the South Bronx on the sidewalk and I just lost it, man. I mean, I fucking cried like a baby. As I do now. Yeah. And I realized that I needed to get it out. Right. And that getting out, I thought I could run it out. I can't run it out. I had to just deal with it. And that crying was necessary. Because when I was done with the run and I was finished with the crying, I felt so much better. You dig? Yeah. I just want to tell, I I would hope that for the black men and boys who hopefully will listen to me either now or in the future, it's okay to cry. Oh, shit. It's what makes us human. Yeah. I'd rather cry tears than catch bullets, as best I could tell you. 
Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, as as far as just self-care, an example of self-care and, and what it takes to keep you um, moving or going yeah. to recuperate from the violence that is both literal and uh, uh, conceptual or figurative within our um, culture. Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems uh, it's, it's weird because there's another kind of psychological dimension. I'm not quite sure how many of uh, my folks uh, are feeling it as well, but I was expressing it to a friend of mine who um, is a curator in LA and a couple of other artists were doing this reading group and we are reading, um, we're reading essentially the suite of Octavia Butler, mm-hmm. starting with uh, Parable of the Sour, which is so appropriate now. Um, but I told all of them, I said, I feel guilty. And they said, why? I said, because I'm the one who's supposed to be out there doing it right now. And they said, you do, you've been doing it so long, take a break. And I said, you're allowed to? They said, hell, Martin took up. Martin Luther King, I'm not him, right? But all all people who are like social justice warriors in a, in a, in a very positive way have to take breaks. There must be some kind of leisure time. You dig? Definitely. And I think so. as I was, you know, because I'd spent so much time with your work a couple of weeks ago and then coming back to it this week and looking at it more and more, it's like, how um, it's I don't want to use the word unfortunate, but how connected it is to like what is happening these past couple weeks. It's the fact that you've been talking about these things for so for so long that that is that 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 merits exhaustion. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I like that. It does merit exhaustion. But I will tell you this, a spoiler alert, just a little secret. You think I've done that? Sure. Thus far, (laughs) you ain't seen shit yet. I got plans right now. I'm working in the studio. I'm, I'm about to mess this whole world up. Well, then we'll have to have another podcast. <laughs> if, uh, that's, if, that, if that's the case, we'll have to have another podcast later on as oh, well. Of course, of course, no worries. Yeah, cool. just to make sure. Um, and of course, like all you know, the the artists that influenced you that were make, making the work before you were. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just this is, this is one um, moment in time in in the middle of like how long that this same thing has been going on and happening over and over again. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if one believes in an afterlife, right. And you die or something, right. And you, and you're required to look at the totality of history in that moment, right. You go to the next world and they say, before you enter, if if someone believes in like St. Peter or something, he says, before you come through this gate or something, man, you got to watch all these, this, this entire video of everything that's ever happened in the totality of history. And I'm not talking about just then. And I'm not talking about just present and past. I'm talking about you can see into the future. Well, I would think everybody would be tired by then because then you would realize we just keep doing the same shit to each other. It's, 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 it's maddening. We are crazy. <laughs> yeah, and just carrying that same... Um violence over and over again uh or putting it onto uh the same people over and over again yeah but also like passing it down uh to to your generation right the mm-hmm. the oppressor can pass his hatred and desire for dominance over someone to his child and then his child can grow up believing in that ideology and nothing else can can break it and he he or she enacts the same kind of violence. It's terrible. You know, you see those uh, photographs from the Ku Klux Klan rallies, mm-hmm. you know, even as, 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 as late slash early as 1980s, 
and there are white children dressed in clan outfits. Yeah. How does that fucking child unthink that? Right. I think it, even if you actively attempt to, it's it's very difficult when when you have these long these ideas that have put in your head f- from such an early age. Um, yeah. It is. Yeah. It's so complex. It's really complex, and uh, yeah, I think it's. Um, I uh, it's just so. Um, it feels so. How it, it feels both like if this had to. Ha- this is happening again, and also, um, how is it possible for it to not? Like, wh- how can we make it not? And I mean, I think this discussion of defunding the police is the. I, I just don't, yeah. Yeah, but the the, the 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 concern should also be that if it's this bad now, how bad is it going to be when it happens again? Because mm. I actually, to yes. be honest, I I think uh, I think Watts was a great example, but I think there's going to be a lot of Watts and LA LA pro, LA riots. I don't want to call them riots. LA uh, uh, resistance or LA uh, demonstrations, revolutions, right? Um, no, I don't like demonstrations. It sounds too passive. I mean, I like okay. revolution. Um, but yeah, those kind of demonstrations slash revolutions just give me an understanding that in the in the future, whether it's tomorrow or five years from now, a bunch of cities will burn in unison. It will happen. I hate to tell you that, but I think it will happen. And is this what one of the necessary. Octavia Butler books is about? Oh, well, don't out me like that. I have to be honest. I haven't read every one of them. Okay. I I just, I know, I just have been talking, (laughs) thinking about reading one that I know is about, like, basically, like, 20, the year 2026 in L.A., and, like, there's a riot happening outside this gated community. I'm forgetting what the name of the book is. Oh, Sour, Sour, Parable of the Sour works that way. Oh, okay. It's like 2024. The idea is, the idea for reading it, and she's a brilliant curator, she was, she said, you know, I, everything that's happening now seems to speak. Uh, resonate uh, in the prophet, prophetic vision of Octavia Butler. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And I and reading the text, you say, oh, yeah, this is all happening now, right? Um, but I told uh, everybody in the group, I said, but she's not a prophet. I said, why? They say, why? I said, because she's black. They say, what you talking about? I said, black people make bad prophets. They say, why? I said, because black people see everything because nobody sees us. And then when we make the warning, like, look, you might want to watch out. Stuff is about to go down. Nobody sees us. And nobody hears us until it happens. I mean, the the worst the the, the worst black prophet to base us off might be Miss Cleo, because she was false. Called me for your free reading. Mm-hmm. But there are real black prophets in the world. You know, we see things certain folks don't see. So that when we speak about them for years, and finally someone looks like, how do you, I can't believe it? You foresaw this? No, I just read the book. I just read the annals. The history books tell us it's going to happen again. That's all. We just don't we just don't pay attention. So it'll happen again. I just think it's unfortunate and kind of fortunately. I just think it's gonna be much worse next time. Yeah, I, I think I'm thinking about what happens if the police officers in Minneapolis don't get convicted. Um, exactly. and, and that I mean rightly so should cause uh yeah, I think you're right. A lot of backlash. If we just look at how the L.A. Uh, demonstration slash revolution works, um, 
you know, they beat the beat the man up. They have the video, which I actually have in my in my home. I watch it every now and then for for ideas. Um, and that some people say that's wrong. I, okay, but uh, that that event happened. They get off. Everything burns. Man, I'm, I'm I, my sense is the. I think I was watching the news uh, this morning, and they had a series of. Uh, legal analysts and the legal analysts were saying and one of them was an african-american male he was honest he was like look i'm gonna be honest with you the man who was first arrested who was on his neck uh that that person um will probably get convicted you can have a harder time getting the other three because the other three are going to say he was the uh he was in charge and we were just following orders so i i actually do think even if they get a few years, I think it. I think the 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 protests slash rioting, the protests rioting, and then unfortunately the looting that occurs with some of uh, some 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 discontented people or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's going to happen again. If if in fact people are not satisfied with the results of these these trials, yeah. But the, the positive, the, 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 one of the greatest things about this whole event is that people who normally would not give a fuck are standing up and saying things. That's nice. You know, if we can get that, if, if we could get that, we could maintain or sustain that critique, right? That critique of whiteness, yeah. on, whiteness on itself through whiteness, we'd be in a whole nother world. Right. But the problem to me seems to be that whiteness relied initially on blackness or black peoples to tell them about themselves, or about the, the disease. For years, right, for decades, right, for centuries, right. Um, and I think the positive that I'm I'm getting out of this moment is that. I believe that white people are starting to look at themselves and question themselves as opposed to relying on black people to tell them about themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, I have to... Oh, sorry. It's all right. I I mean, I told... uh, We've been having a few conversations. I said, you know, I'm tired of telling white folks about white folks. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? We've been doing this for four or 500 plus years. Uh, I'm 30-something. I've been doing this for 30-something years nonstop. Uh, my leg work. I'm doing it. I will do it until the day I die. I'm going to need white folks to stand up and do their leg work. If I have to provide a reading list, I have a plan. I have a nice reading list I can provide people uh, so that they can learn about their history. But I don't think it's incumbent upon I'm, I think black people are, are tired of it being our seeming as it's our responsibility to instruct people on themselves or at least on their cultural heritage. You did? Yeah. And I think you're right that, I mean, at least, of course, I'm not hanging out with a lot of people right now. Um, but right. when I go on my Instagram, like, there's so, so many people are talking about white supremacy in a way that was not happening two weeks ago. Like, there's there's so many posts and stories about how uh, people uh, either offering information to each other or, or seeking information. Um, yeah, it's really developing a hell of a community, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it's also, and I mean, I think we can get into this when we talk about your work with like, you know, how, how we're sharing images right now, um, mm-hmm. potentially, or how we're learning from the images of, of places that we're not in and what we 
assume based off those images. Um, but I also just think that it, I, I have seen people that have never I've never had a conversation with about about things like white privilege and and sort of institutionalized racism posting lots of things about it. And yeah. that's that. I mean, that's a, a big shift. But the only issue, like you're saying, is how do how do we maintain that shift? Uh, yeah, the, the, to sustain to sustain resistance until you get the change that you desire is it's daunting. Uh, a marathon runner couldn't even do it in a marathon. And marathon runners are beasts, right? They're brilliant, but they don't have that kind of endurance. I think it takes a collective endurance. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's there's no uh, it's not a coincidence that leaders of the movement either died by way of assassination or they fade out or they go to prison. There, there are just ways in which you get to a point where either you are, you are fatigued, right? You are totally, completely exhausted or the system is exhausted with you and it finds a way to neutralize you. Does that make sense? Is that, that's, that sounds bad, but that's just how I feel. No, I mean, I think, yes. And I think also relying on, like you, you were mentioning earlier, relying on other people to give you the information or or build up your momentum rather than saying like, Mm -hmm. this is our responsibility because that's how individuals can become exhausted or with like hero worship, how we put someone on a pedestal. And then when they do something inevitably that is imperfect, then they don't, they can't be like the sweetheart of whatever's happening at that moment. Right. I mean, you think about how much work, I'm going to forget call it work, how much labor, the duty to, uh, the call the duty of, of civil service that Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King and a whole bunch of other folks answered, right? Day in and day out, consistently. I mean, I would have, I, I don't know how, t- how they weren't tired, mm-hmm. you know? You know, Martin, Martin smoked, Martin smoked his cigarettes, which I understand, but, uh, they have to, they just have to be ways of 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 repair. And I'd be curious. I don't know. I don't know much about. And this is going to sound terrible. I'm not. I don't know much about it, as much as I should know about Coretta Scott King as I should, right? But I would be. I would be like. I would be curious about what are her methods of repair. Sure. Uh, were because she went. She went through through hell, and came out stronger than ever. Right, and like raised children who are also very strong mm-hmm. and dedicated. Um, she, yeah, she undercut this 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 fucking narrative of a of a black woman uh, who is our you know the welfare queen or these kinds of things. She said, "No, I'm a single mother, but I'm gonna make this right." And her children grew up to be amazing people. Right inside that black woman is the how would I call it interminable. Uh, excess of black erotics and erotics is not sex erotics is like a a well a deep never-ending well of love and emotion and lyricism that i i frankly think only exists in black people right now because we have dealt with things that nobody can deal with and we are continuing to deal with and we and we continue to come to the to the table with a smile on our face and say all right well you messed it up last time let's try to fix it this time we are the most loving people in the world now the images we could talk about images the images you see on we see on the screen right they don't always tell us that we love they tell us that we steal 
we're, we're looters. We, uh, we violate everyone's space that we need to be re- regulated and controlled in certain ways. But the black erotics that I know is deep. The black erotics is my father telling me uh, at my grandfather's funeral when I was 16, and I didn't want to eat anything, and I didn't know what sadness and depression was. And he said, you okay? And this is uh, at the dinner afterwards. I said, well, you know, I'm okay. He said, I know you're tired, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, it's okay. We got you. Would you like something to eat? I said, no. He said, it's okay. It's okay to be sad. That's black erotics. That's the thing that can get down into you and make you and heal you just by saying it's okay. You dig? You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. And this is I don't want this to turn into you checking on me. Um because well, no, we're human beings. We're I we're know. community. I gotta make sure you're straight. Yes, I just you're what you're speaking of is so valid and so important to hear. Mm-hmm. That you're identifying that that is the situation that over and over again, uh, black people are asked to give more than they than anything close to what they're receiving when it comes yeah, to this... when it comes to love or, or that yeah. situation. <laughs> man, if this were church, man, our tithing would be heavier than everybody else's. You know, the reverend says, and this is just a joke. We want the kind of money that folds. We don't want the shit that jingles. So what else do we have, man? So what else? Yeah. So let's. Um. I. I so. I, I want to talk about your work in relation yeah. to this to this moment and 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 beyond that or before that because we don't have a beyond yet. We just have a before, I guess. Um, no, we do have a beyond. You have to believe in the beyond. Okay. beyond the future. <laughs> right. If we don't have a future, then what the fuck are we doing? Sure. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. Very um, good. Very good. So I. Um, I, I, I think, uh, when we first discussed this, we didn't get into it as much, but I, I do want to talk about, about sort of mass consumption of imagery and how mm-hmm. that, that, that is at some, some, somehow as at the root of, of your practice, um, h- how we treat images or, or learn from images or unlearn from images, well, when you say mass consumption, what do you mean by that? Like consumption <sighs> by the masses or abundance of information being uh, kind of thrown at us and we have to consume all of it? Well, I think I mean um, mass cons- consumption by the masses um, gotcha. in the sense that, you know, dealing with images that were like when if we're going to talk about Rodney King, that happened at a time when th- when there wasn't the amount of images that there are now, but we were co- that was consumed as a as a right. on a large scale but now we have this massive amount of images that are are coming at us and trying to figure out and then piece together what we believe to be um happening from those images i mean i think if we're going to talk about like photojournalism and documentary style work mm-hmm. yeah i agree um, um so, no go ahead so yeah i i was just i just was wondering if you could talk as an introduction to some of your work, talk about um, sort of your relationship to, to imagery. And I remember, sure. you know, when when we had spoken before, there were some stories from from when you were younger, how you sort of developed this sense of what you either think an image can offer or where it falls short. Right. I think, um, well, if we talk about what it 
let's 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 start low and, and go high. So we we talk about how it falls short. Deficiency in images is clear in the sense that it doesn't give you an actual uh, direct relationship to reality. That 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 clearly is proven. But as a child, what I was able to do um, via uh, drawing, right, was I was able to learn the images weren't stable. So uh, there's a couple of things, a couple of moments, specific moments in my childhood that I can lose. I can just like tactically, not tactically, uh, physically, tangibly remember, right? Uh, the first one would be uh, my father was a civil engineer. By the time he had me, he had retired. Um, so he opened his own firm, which he ran out of the basement. It was awesome. He had an office. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, so he was so good at his job that uh, the government then would hire his firm to go into public housing and fix all the stuff they messed messed up, right? Um, so he would, instead of to give us, you know, take us to summer camp, he would put us in the station wagon and drive us all over the state of Kentucky, right? Because I'm from Louisville. And we would go hours out into the middle of nowhere where I didn't think black people existed, they we existed, right? And on those trips, he would buy he used to buy these books for me. I think he bought them for my brother too, but I think I would love to believe that for me. You know, you <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and he would buy these books called like you know you learn how to draw uh, cartoon characters in like four easy steps. You learn how to draw like Fred Flintstone or something. First the head, then the nose and the eyes, and so on and so forth. And I realized after he would give you, he would say, "Here's a sheet of tracing paper and a carbon." piece of carbon paper and he taught me how to trace and and transfer right and i i got smart and i'm like six or something so i would trace fred flintstone's head on i don't know scooby-doo's body right and at that moment i realized first of all i had all the power in the world to move these elements and control these elements Mm -hmm. right i also realized that the images that they gave me in the book were not stable because i could easily copy elements of one and superimpose them or articulate them with other elements of another images aren't real then when i got you know we would get to these places and they were always public housing because he used to work with hud uh they're always public housing so when you got there uh he would he was he, he was an engineer so he was really meticulous he would take you through every through the homes you know, and you knew everybody there because he would introduce you. You were just hanging out with, with with people, right? And he would take you through the homes and he would show you, you know. He would ask the residents, do you mind if my children? No, bring them in. We, we love these children, you know. And he would show you, he said, see this gap between the baseboard and the floor? Huge gaps. And I would say, yeah, he's like, this is because the people who built this did it this way, which means they they, they uh, cheaped out on material and didn't put forth the effort because they didn't care. You dig? I didn't. I wasn't receiving any of those images through the screen. Sure. That to me was that phenomenological experience was more real than the goddamn images that I was seeing through the screen. So that was my. Those are my first couple of moments. Right then, there was one more which got me to tapestry making. Um, I when I was a boy, again six. I'm the youngest of six. You see, right? And we had a nice long dinner table in the house. Um, really wasn't that long. I guess I must have been small. <laughs> but in the corner, in the corner, we had a TV, and it was an old TV with knobs and a rabbit ears. Um, and when the image would wobble or waver or falter, 
my father would say, and he was a brilliant man, right? He went to MIT in the 50s, but he would break code. And when he broke linguistic code, you knew he meant business. He would, instead of saying, Noel, could you please go fix the television? He would say, boy, go fix that. And you knew as soon as he was very efficient with his terms, you had to go do what was necessary. So I would go and play with the rabbit ears until the image was stabilized. But I was a trickster, you see. I would move the rabbit ears even more to destabilize the image and make it wave, right? Another ra- another moment in my life where I was like, well, these things aren't real. They can't be, because if they were real, how could a boy of six years old make them do this? Right. You know, I guess for me, what I was really, what I'm really interested in is direct experience, right? I'm not the first person, tons of us who want direct experience. Sure. It it feels even weird now, right? This is, this might be the guilt that occurs, right? Watching the protests and the riots from TV, you think, should I be there? Well, no, shouldn't be there. People are acting a fool, but it doesn't feel as real. You dig? Yeah, and it, it's like a roller coaster of feelings from being like, I should be there too. There's a pandemic to, you know, it's just, it's so right. hard to, um, to, to keep up with what is, what is, what is right and where, where you belong or in this particular circumstance. Right. Well, it's interesting because when you ask the question about uh, mass consumption and I had to, I, I, I require the distinction, I also thought to myself, if I think about mass uh, some mass consumption, not in terms of the masses, uh, but in terms of the abundance of material that's projected towards us uh, every day, uh, I would think, well, I black people can't be the only ones that are fatigued. There's, I, I feel like the human mind can only experience so much until it's overloaded and you get tired. So my sense is people are fatigued now. What they seem to be, what people are maybe may doing, are choosing the images they want to see so they can curate the vision that they want. Right, that's what everybody does. But now it seems to be more uh, evident. Um, and I, I, however, choose to consume everything. That was the mass consumption I was thinking about. So when I I have a routine. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I turn on the news. And I let that shit play in the apartment, whether I'm in the in the living room or not. If I'm in the bathroom brushing my teeth, it's consistently playing. I I rifle between a number of news uh, programs. I specifically watch Fox News. People hate that about me, but I have to because my mother said you have to know what the the enemy's thinking. Wow, that so, is br- you're brave. And I, I love oh, I love it. You know when when. When everybody, uh, like a, a week or so ago, people, I was hanging out with friends of mine uh, in the in Central Park. We were social distancing. Uh, <laughs> and someone in the group said something about um, Obamagate. And everybody said, I said Obamagate. And I, I explained to them. They said, how'd you know? I said, Fox News has been talking about this for three years. They lead off. They were, Last year, they were leading off programs with it. They, they bring this guy, uh, Dan Bongino. Mm-hmm. I believe he used to be Secret Service, right? He looks black, but he's Italian. They bring him on and he's talking about stuff and he started talking about Obamagate three years ago. He wrote a book about it. So I, I, I say that to tell people, you know, you have to go to those sources and deal with them. You have to read things like uh, the Turner files. So you know what tactical strategies people are using against you. You have to. You have to read the Klansman. You have to watch uh, D.W. Griffith's version of the Klansman, right? You have to watch that stuff. Because you have to know what they're thinking. And I know it hurts. The shit is tough. But that's the duty, man. Right. This life ain't going to be easy. It's so interesting because I used to watch clips like that before 
the election in 2016 because I I guess I thought uh, this isn't going anywhere. Like I used to just feel more comfortable mm. li- listening to kind of like the outlandish far right, and now um, that yeah, I mean, and of course it is being comfortable with being uncomfortable is a part of um, knowing what is sort of going on, not just within like your own bubble. Right, right, right. But it also, it also allows you, if you do the work, whether it's now or historical, you find strategies of resistance in their rhetoric. So you learn what people are Mm, afraid of. Yeah. You really do. If you really pay attention, you're like, Oh, they're really afraid of this shit. They're afraid of this. Oh, they're weak. This is what they're afraid of. <laughs> they they not gonna make it. They got brittle spirit to quote Dave. Chappelle's right. They got brittle spirit. So you know, I watch that stuff. And sometimes, you know, people are in the room and they're like, they get upset and say, but you have to learn what the enemy thinks. So. I think another thing you mentioned or another word you chose to use, projectile or projecting. Um, mm-hmm. I think is is the word you when you were talking about the images that were. Um, are getting projected at us. Yeah, uh, it, it 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 it's a great it's a great word in my sense because it'll it it easily bridges um film and screen cultures apparatus which is the which is a you know theater the camera projects itself onto the screen, right? Um it creates a kind of um how how would I say it? Maybe it, it it creates two things for me, I think. If I say projection, it means it relates it to film and it creates a kind of filmic space to understand that we are all living in this really weird film. It's it feels like a surreal movie I'm in right now. I, I talk, that's how I can explain that, right? But projection on a deeper level is like the thing is being targeted. You are a target, right? Exactly. There's a violence, there's a violence in the image. And, and no, I'll take that back. There's always a violence in the image, but there's a violence in the delivery of the image that we don't even see because it, we're just used to it. You dig? Yeah. It's just, it's, just, it's just there. Yes, and I think that so often, especially with smartphones, we're thinking about looking at images as sort of this passive experience, which it can be, but also when we bring in other language into it to describe that, it is there is a violence to how that relationship with works, which, with, with I th- which I think goes back to what you were discussing in the beginning about sort of like self-care to a certain extent, like how are we... Um, handling all of the things that are being put into our mind and put into our head. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, I think it takes a, a special person. I, I think we have a lot of them in this world, a special kind of considered, uh, special considered person to really focus and look at the image and say, I don't want to deal with this or, okay, that's what take, take what they can from an image and then move on and then employ or deploy it, whatever they've learned in different ways. Hopefully for the betterment of this world. And it becomes a part of your, I mean, especially images that you spend time with or stick with for a minute and are able to um, then move on from, but still Mm -hmm. have it in your kind of like library of of Mm -hmm. references where you can say just, um, you know, I, I, um, I think with all this happening right now, I was thinking back to Walter Scott being shot and mm-hmm. how at that moment I couldn't imagine how that wasn't the 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 worst some of the worst footage I'd I'd ever seen that that was being shown uh, that I had experienced as an adult, um, but because I I 
I, um, you know, had those images with me, I, I feel like I can, um, it, it's just, it's, it's important because they're, they're part of what has led to now. Yeah, they are. But, you know, it's, it's nice that you see that, right? But some people just don't see it. Of course. And they're surprised. They're surprised. They're always they're surprised when the police act a fool or something. They say, oh, my God, these people are rioting. Well, they're upset. You know? Yeah. And I think I think what really needs to occur is we need to look at the conditions that, that produce that, not just the uh, institutional racism, which we all know exists, I think, or at least those who, who are part of the protest recognize, right? We need to look at... Um, we need to look at all of the institutions through which racism filters um, to really fix the problem. The police are just one aspect of a, a whole fucked up um, structure, structural thing, you dig? Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, it, it, but that's, that's, that's real work that I'm not quite sure. And this is the defeatist in me, but I'm going to win you back because I, I think I can. I'm not quite sure people are, are ready to do that kind of work because that's like, that's to me that that seems to be a kind of dissertation nerdy uh intellectual rigor that requires us to specifically look at laws and all that kind of stuff right but maybe what it re- really requires is we have a faction of people who do that and i think that's clearly what's happening now we have a faction that deals with that we have another faction that deals with the protest we have another faction that deals with housing you know if we could organize that way that would be it Right, that yeah. would be it if we could organize that way. Um, but the, the, let's let's circle back because there's a weird thing about images. Um, there's a weird thing about images that if we looked at, um, I would just say news. We start because I do this in my classes, right? Because I teach, I'm a professor. I do this in my uh, studio and and my seminar classes. You know, we'll sit there. I will make them. I will make them watch Fox News for 30 minutes. And they hate it. Oh, they hate it. The <laughs> yeah. students hate it. And it's great. I like poking the bear in the zoo. You got to poke the bear in the zoo. Um, and then we watch it. And then I turn it off. And I say, all right, what did you see? And then they, they say the, the, the usual racism, bigotry, yada, 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 right? But then I play it again and I stop on a keyframe. I said, what do you see? And they say, well, we see. I say, I'm a very blatant syntactical level what do you see they say well i see a, a white man in a suit and a blonde white woman in an outfit and another bracket she's bracketed by two white men right so she's in the middle and they're talking about this thing um whatever it is they're talking about and i said okay you're paying attention to that but what's on the bottom of the screen and i, and I said well i said let's let's not even look at that let's just look what's running on the bottom of the screen and the bottom of the screen is running things like uh president trump has just passed this other law that no one's paying attention to which will then take money out of everyone's pockets right i said you see what they're doing they said what are you talking about? i said you're focusing on this image of black looters on the top of the screen right at the bottom of the screen they're sneaking all this other shit under you literally you don't even see it right i said you have to watch these programs because so you can see those methods of getting imagery to you, right? At the top, they're telling you black people are bad. At the bottom, they're telling you this is the president and this is what he's doing to make sure everybody's fucked. Yeah, the strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I actually recently, I'm writing an essay for a friend of mine's catalog. I was an artist. And uh, in the essay, I, 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 I finally get to a point where I said, you know what, we got to have a plan. 
Because if you don't have a plan, you have nothing. Even even when you listen to like uh, jazz and improvisation, improv is still a plan. Improvisation isn't just you go out there willingly. You they practice. You know, Im- improvisation is practice. So even even when you're you know guessing or, or not guessing, you're you're winging it. You're not really mm-hmm. winging it because you plan for it. You dig? Yeah. Sometimes in basketball, the same. <laughs> like exactly. Um, you know, there's mm. always the plays, but then there's the things that happen that are just simply following whatever you've been tr- sort of training for in that moment. Yeah. And, and that's brilliant, right? You got to have more than one plan. Cause if one plan doesn't work out, the other plans need to kick in. You know, you listen to like, I remember when, when Mike Tyson, and I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm really bad at this. Right. When Mike Tyson says something like, well, you know, you just lost to Buster Douglas, right? No one thought he was going to lose. That was the, that was like the end or something. Mm-hmm. That was the the fall. And he said, well, you know, everybody, everybody got a plan until you get knocked down. Right. He had one plan. That's it. Once that one plan was defeated, he had nothing else. He had no other strategy. My sense is that we need to have more than one plan. I think we need, you know, basketball players, basketball teams have more than one play, sure. don't they? You don't just run the same fucking play over and over again. Right. I just don't know what that plan is. And, you know, a couple of, like I was saying, we were reading the Octavia Butler and this thing. We were sitting the other day trying to figure out what does this plan look like. And we don't know yet. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know what that, what, what we're, what we're going to do, but I'm hopeful and uh, I'm thinking and I'm looking forward to uh, coming to the table, hopefully in the near, near future and getting some people together to figure out what we can do, at least in terms of the art world. Sure. Yes. You know, because what I did say is I don't, my fear you know, while this fear would, or while this this move would help me in my career, I don't want this, right? My fear is that when COVID-19 has really been like dialed down and people are coming back to shows and everybody's hanging out and the art world is back again, because it will come back. My fear is people are going to start doing a bunch of exhibitions about these moments that are just fly by and they're not sustained critiques that we're going to sit in and deal with. Mm-hmm. You dig, and that's 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 one reason why now I'm pretty p- particular about uh, the work I make and, and how I show it and and that kind of thing. You know. Yeah, I think it goes um, uh, back to the discussion about like sustaining the energy past this initial reaction to something that's mm-hmm. more productive without just only that initial reaction. That right, that I mean, that needs to be like just sort of the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, which could end up resulting, if that's possible, resulting in like you know much more profound art about this period of time. Yeah. I would hope so. I hope, I hope, and I hope the art that we we receive that is profound is not didactic. Mm-hmm. I still want to work. You know, I still want to do some mental calisthenics to understand what you're trying to go through. You know, one of my critiques of of of, of, of artists, I guess, would be that sometimes it's just too obvious. And my stuff is obvious as hell too, but there's a, a bunch of layers that, if you sit with it for a while, I think they reveal themselves to you that are not as obvious. Sure. You know, the, the 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 racism and the oppression is obvious, but its connection to screen culture, its connection to institutions that either had direct or indirect ties to slavery, and 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 the beginning of uh, of American capitalism through cotton, all that stuff is in there. Black labor. You know, it's not just as obvious. So my, my my hope is that when we come back, there will be some sustained critiques in terms of the art world. But those critiques will also be nuanced in such a way that the audience 
will be, will, how would I say, will, uh, I don't want to say come through, but, but will gain a kind of intellectual awakening, I guess. I don't know how to say it other than that. I'm sure that's not what I mean, but. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that, um, because we already have the images that, you know, are being projected at us and there's that, there's that relationship, like having a, uh, relationship with a piece of art that's a little bit less, um, where it requires you to maybe project something at the art rather than vice versa, um, right, right. is, is, that is what actually leads to maybe more of things changing in with, amongst individuals. And then that could potentially lead to, to groups. Yeah. If, if you feel like the art requires something of you or you, you know, that, that is beyond just that walking by it or, you know, stopping yeah. for, I, I forget, I saw in a museum, like it must've been six months ago, there was this exhibition about how long people stand in front of artwork wow. <laughs> at museums. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know, I think it's an average of like 27 seconds or something. So, um, th- yeah, it's just to, when I think that artwork that doesn't it doesn't explain itself right away can either require something of you or it can overwhelm you. I, I mean, yeah. you know, and it's it just, yeah, or both. Yeah, it can. Maybe, maybe you know, uh, I mean, I, I appreciate us talking, not just you and me. I'm talking about people in general about where we are, but hopefully our world will also, beyond just panel discussions, which I would love to be a part of, but beyond panel discussion and these kinds of things, we do some serious work and that and i think the 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 requirement of that serious work is to real or to is to accept that you may not be here for the end of it and you got to be okay with that i think people get trapped in this illusion that they need to see the 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 end game uh of their efforts um but the reality is the people who really do the legwork i don't think they really see the end game i think they 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 go home or pass away. They go home uh, before the end is near. An example would be, I remember my father died uh, January 2008, the year Obama was uh, elected. And I couldn't help but tear up when that happened and thought, man, if he had just stayed alive one more year, eight more months or something, you know. Sure. He would have seen, he would have seen, he would have, he would have reached the mountaintop. He would have hit that horizon with Martin and he could have gone home. But you know, and I think that's that kind of self-sacrifice to realize you're not going to you may not see the end with everyone. Uh, I think that's I think that makes true leadership. Yeah, I think, yes, that's really interesting and and is an example of a sort of detachment from the ego, which is hard to do within also within the art world too when yeah. when you get attached to the things that you've made and you've contributed and the research that you've done and however you know you've come to to process things to to uh detach yourself from what might happen uh at the end but mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it definitely necessary uh, for for there to be like a real significant something accomplished with groups of people yeah i hope so yeah um what a particular, what a peculiar moment. A very peculiar moment. I do. I want to talk about your tapestries. Let's talk about the work. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. talk about how um, you had how a you had a moment at the Met where you're mm-hmm. where you uh, or not a moment, a, many moments <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, where you where you kind of were taken with this 
tapestry that was that was on the wall. Yeah, so you know, my my old dealer, uh, art dealer and friend, God rest his soul, Jack Tilton, <clears throat> used to tell me to, you know, he say, and I'm gonna do the voice. He would say, "You gotta go to the mat." <laughs> I'd be like, "Jack, man, chill the fuck out, homie. I don't gotta. I go to the mat all the time." He's like, "But you gotta go on." Um, Oh, he said, you got to go on Friday nights. And I'd be like, bro, I go all the time. Fuck a Friday. I go on a Friday. But he would say, you know, you have to go on Friday because all the famous artists would go. And I would go and maybe like a Richard Tuttle or something would be there staring at a rock. <laughs> and I would stare at him, stare at a rock. And then I realized, <laughs> why am I staring at this dude, stare at this rock? Like he gonna unleash, he's going to unlock the math or something. Right. Why don't I go find something at which to stare? So at that time, this was like 10 some years ago. Nobody, nobody was really going to the Met on Friday nights. It wasn't as popular, I think, as it is now. Because now I go on a Friday and there's a lot of people. But at that time, nobody would go. So I would, I would go to rooms where nobody was. And at that time, in the great hall where they had the tapestries, uh, nobody was there except for the attendants. So I would sit on benches and stare at tapestries. And I would be mesmerized. And I finally realized why I was mesmerized. I said, well, this is the invention of photography. And somebody said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, this is like a television. They said, what do you mean? I said, this is just a weaving with a bunch of threads and dots. But I couldn't make sense out of it then. I was just mesmerized by that thought. Mm -hmm. And after doing reading and finding, you know, Jacquard during the uh, French Revolution, inventing inventing this little add-on to weaving, which was the uh, punch card, which, right, you have a card that has, it's literally a, a poster board, small piece of poster board or something with holes in it and wherever there's a hole the thread can go through where there is no hole the thread can't go through it's essentially the beginning of binary codes you know you fast forward 30 some odd years later i think it's what charles babbage finds this and he uses the punch card method to invent what i would call maybe the grand grandfather the great grandfather of computers mm -hmm. at which point i was like well shit that's what it is every time that's the bridge every time i'm staring at these tapestries i'm staring at a screen and from there, I could I could make that connection to the narrative I told before about being six years old and the youngest of six and having to stabilize the image. I said, well, this television in this corner, I had to like reflect. I said, that television in the, in the corner that I used to have to deal with, with the rabbit ears, is nothing but a series of tapestries. It's nothing but a series of tapestries, right? I said, everything on the screen is just a woven image. And so from there, I was just able to take images from screens um and and determine them uh as weavings uh and i, I like the weaving right because the weaving is so complex first of all if we, if we deal with it on a racial level it's like why is it like the the, the paradox of a black an african-american male if we if we fight those if we relate it to stereotypes of black maleness using weaving and cloth as a as a material of expression that's 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 interesting right that goes into like black care and black caress that's interesting there's also you know the interesting relationship between mediums and that's that's what i was trying to draw out in the i try to draw out in the work as well by which i mean if you look at the if you look at the history of weaving you have say i don't know peter paul rubens the painter makes the painting or the small cartoon or or the cartoon and then gives it to the weaving guild and they develop an iteration of the painting as a weaving right but but to be honest peter paul rubens uh color schemes were so nuanced that weavers were having trouble with them mm -hmm. so then in my mind i thought well 
he could if he's if he's losing money this way he could say well i'll then take this painting or this cartoon and turn it into a print and i can make five thousand of these things and then recoup any kind of currency so then it's like there's that kind of relationship to capital so then i thought well the painting has gone through the iteration of a painting a weaving uh, and a print and photography and painting all those together as well as sculpture i thought well, then let me see if I can use the tapestry to bridge all of those forms. So in some of the works, you'll see I'll take one image and reproduce it as a weaving multiple times in like a serial, right? So that you can look at it and say, oh, shit, not only is this thing woven, it's woven as an addition. As such, it can become a print. Mm-hmm. And then I also stretch them like paintings and work on them like paintings. I dye, I dye them with... Uh, dyes i use acrylic oil i do a whole slew of physical activities i pick them which we could talk about right so then so then it for me i was like oh well then this weaving that i had has another correlation to painting because of my treatment of it right so all that is in the work but also in the work and all that stems from my relationship with the met if we could talk about the labor issue right because the works themselves when i say i pick the tapestries i go on with a a nail and my fingers and i pull the threads up by hand so that the image becomes even more destabilized or distorted right um and all the threads i'm using are cotton so frankly every time i'm in the studio i'm just picking cotton you dig right there's just different ways to enact to reenact black labor and try to get within a kind of black sentience that i'm trying to do in my studio Right. And, and what are, I mean, just, um, what is like the, how do you go about picking the images that you are weaving? Oh, you mean picking or picking? You mean picking. Sorry. I mean, uh, picking. Choosing. Yeah. Choosing. choosing. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, I don't know. I love the wordplay. That's good. Oh, I didn't God. mean to. <laughs> oh, don't do that. Just take it for what sure, it is. Sure. Yes. It's brilliant. Um, how do I choose them? Well, um, I do a lot of uh, searching. I watch a ton of things. I make notes. Sometimes I'll watch a, a, a video and I'll mark down at a specific time in the, in the keyframe in the video. I'll say one minute, two seconds, or that image. And I'll, I'll, I'll source a bunch of images from one, from one uh, source, like a film or something. Uh, and then I'll sit with them for a while until, and I'll, I'll work with them compositionally. And I'll say, that's the composition that's going to give me what I want. Right. And then some of the images you understand are just, are use the modernist crop, right? I crop out, mm-hmm. you know, Heidegger would call it the inframing. I inframe stuff. I can curate the narrative the way I wish. Right. And right. An example would be as a piece that was in my recent show last fall at the Hunter Museum of American Art, my traveling show, Black Origin Moment. Um, and I'm trying to think the piece that I was that most oh yes so there was a piece uh essentially called hands up right and it's for i think it's been on ig but it's four uh individually stretched tapestries hung in a kind of quadrant so they hang together yeah uh almost like a, forming some kind of like window pane but they're all images of the history of black hands being raised one image is and they're all cropped from bigger images so one image is cropped from um a Dogon sculpture, an African Dogon sculpture from the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which is always on display, which suspiciously, suspiciously got removed during the beginning of Black Lives Matter. 
in a, a 2015 or whatever, but it's back now. Uh, and it's a it's a black figure with his hands raised. I cropped one of those hands out and wove that into a tapestry. One of the images is Martin Luther King with his hand raised, but you just see his hand. You don't really see him. Another one is a Glenn is a Glenn Ligon. So Glenn Ligon has an image of black hands raised during a prayer. Um, I appropriated that image, reused it, cropped it, and that's in there. And then the other one is a pair of black hands handcuffed with their hands behind their back, but I rotated it. 180 degrees so the hands are up right the, mm, yeah. building a triangle upwards as opposed to downward there's a there's a up there's the illusion there's the belief in a an upward mobility and ascension that's a spirit um so all those were chosen because they had the black hand but they also were chosen because they expressed uh that gesture by black peoples uh across time um if we if you want to we could talk so there's there's the other work. There's the large tapestry that's uh, the dye lighting, which is the management or the administration. Uh, I, I think you've seen that one. It, is it the one with the the men that are lined up outside? Yeah. It, yeah. And yeah. There's a police officer standing over them. There's two. Nobody okay. sees it until you really see it. That's the beautiful part. So, mm. uh, right. So that that there's that one. That's what thirteen feet, nine feet. So the figures are life size. You feel them in scale. Mm, okay. So right on the on the right side of the compos composition, going back into one point perspective, are half naked black men with their hands to their back. The one in the 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 one closer to the viewer, I believe, is staring out at us, right? Because we are the ones with the camera. Behind them, in the middle of the composition, is a black man with a long shotgun. Uh, noting that you know, in the image, I've distorted all the images in the in Adobe Suite or something, so that they look very wavy, like a television. Mm -hmm. So when you see this black cop, his legs are bent backwards like a satyr. He becomes a fucking goat, right? He, he's tapped. I've tapped into the animal instinct that's in him, which is kill. His gun wavers like a big, it slithers like a snake. But the, the thing is, behind him on the far left of the composition, usually people see it and they say, oh, it's just a brick wall. I say, look closer. It's a white cop who's twice the size of everyone else who's merged into the brick wall. He's a part of the photograph. But his gun is like a little pistol. It's smaller than the black man. There's a whole slew of sexual in innuendo that I'm playing with in that image. You dig? But then there's also another innuendo of the power of black peoples that we can think about when we think about how they did George Floyd. Right? I told uh, one of my old students last night who's, who's struggling with this. I said, look, man, you know how powerful we are? He black too. I said, what do you, he said, what do you mean? I said, it took four motherfuckers to keep him down. That's how much they they're afraid of us. So when you look at die lighting, it took this shotgun, this other man with a gun, and I'm assuming a a plethora of people you don't see in the image, right? Who have who are militarily armed to control this small population of black men. We must be fucking powerful. You dig? But then that's a there's a double edged sword to that. You see in the basketball tapestries, the the, the show I did at my 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 gallery um in luxembourg so they're doing both yet right you see that in those tapestries right so let's talk about that yeah and so that i mean just moving from the um I, i'm i'm forgetting the exact name of the tapestry with the the men that are lined up in the two police officers oh, oh yeah dilating 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 um 
Well, I just and and based on what you were just saying about uh, like sort of control and and power and needing these overwhelming forces for a small group or one person, um, mm-hmm. and thinking about the title of your work uh, related to basketball, get lifted. Uh, I think I've just been sitting with that title a little bit longer um, and thinking that it's, it's not, it's not a, it's so, this is so uh, tricky to unpack, especially because I'm just uh, talking about your work to you (laughs) and guessing at what it might've been going on. But um, this idea of like getting lifted is not being lifted up necessarily. Yes. Right. You have to think about that. Right. I come up with the title, get lifted for multiple reasons. Right. You said, so it starts, I mean, maybe we should start about the origin of that exhibition and those works. Yeah. Uh, so I started with reading a book that everybody should read. I believe it's called a hundred years of lynching. And it's just a bunch. It's an anthology, right? It's not, not thick. It's small. So people shouldn't be, you know, um, frightened by scale and size or something right it's really small right but it's just a collection of newspaper clippings uh from around 1865 to around 1970 that uh are journalists describing the event of the lynching and sometimes they're extensive like three four pages of the description like you know they describe the supposed crime they talk about these groups of people who are marauding black neighborhoods Right. Or sometimes they're very, very simple. So-and-so did this thing. Uh, the crowd went and got this man. They brought him out into the street. They killed him. Okay. I, when reading this book, I started realizing the rhetoric that was used, the terms that were used in this book are the same terms that are used when talking about basketball. The crowd goes wild. There was a mob. The body, the body sways. Look at the body jump. There's certain moments when black bodies, black people are strapped to um, bonfires. And the, and the fires are so hot that the human, the human nature, the essence of that being who's in that fire jumps out. Right. So there's, 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 there's this rhetoric. Um, so I, I, the point is I started seeing connections between basketball and lynching. And I also started to see connections between the, the forced regulation or the oppression of black bodies in the same way. Right. Um, so if we turn and look at the the basketball arena, there's a crowd. There, sometimes the crowd becomes a mob, right? If there's a victory, the mob goes outside. The mob goes wild. The mob riots. Yeah, flips um, over cars, sets things exactly. on fire. Over a fucking victory, not the death of a person. Over a fucking victory, yeah. right? <laughs> Think about after after they would kill black men and women in lynchings. I'm sure they had parties. They call them picnics. You dig? So when looking at these two relationships, I started to draw those out. So you'll see in those tapestries, which you can all you know you can see on my website or uh, Zadun Bosiet's website as well. You, you, what you really see are a series of tapestries of just feet and legs in the air. Everything's using the modernist crop. I've removed everything from the waist up, right? And some of the tapestries are small, twenty by sixteen. Some the largest one, or some of them are larger, you know, seventy something inches by fifty. The largest one is thirteen feet by nine feet. Um, and what you're seeing, you're witnessing literally our black bodies being lifted off the ground. Right. And then un- to unpack, we could go into like thinking about social mobility and ascension. Mm-hmm. You know, is Michael Jordan really free if he made all this money? No, he not. He doesn't have power. He thinks he has. I don't think. 
Um, we could unpack it in terms of who's in charge. You know, the arena, the, the arena of the of the basketball court mimics the arena of the cotton field. You have you have an overseer. He might be the coach. Usually the coach is white, as is the overseer. The overseer has a captain. He is black. He's supposed to be able to do the overseer's bidding and really keep the Negroes in line. Usually you have an assistant coach who does that. You know, when I was playing football in high school, my father was smart. He told me, he's like, well, you know, we have this one coach here. He was usually the only black coach. There was a few of them, but he was usually the one. And whenever there was one of the players, usually the black player got out of line, he was always called in to, to rectify the situation. So in sports, there, there are ways in which sports coincide or can be superimposed uh, with other historical modes of oppression that I was trying to get to. Right. Yeah. Um, but if we, you know, but in the largest tapestry, the centerpiece of the exhibition called La Radio, I went and this is me trying to find filmic relationships. I went into uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, specifically in the climax, which is the final scene where they choke up Radio Raheem which is really what happened, right, to George, which sparks the riot. Someone had to throw the trash can through the window, which is happening now. I went through that scene, and I focused specifically on the feet being lifted, and I found a key frame where the, his, these, these two Nikes are being lifted off the ground, and behind them are two uh, indescript uh, feet of, of police officers, both black shoes and black pants. You know, what you're really witnessing is the, the murder uh, of another black man. I said so all these kinds of signifiers of the feet being lifted off the ground, specifically in Nikes, is, I would assume is kind of important too. You know? Yeah, um, and just how that, uh, the idea of branding and mm-hmm. um, uh, sort of, prof- again, um, and this is just like discussion of profiting off of people's bodies. Uh, via these different routes, uh, whether it's sneakers or, or the mob. Right. And that kind of conversation seems to to me to be folded into the fact that I use a medium that is expensive, that expresses luxury and high class, right? There's, there's that. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Like sort of, um, uh, yeah, like Royal types of, Mm -hmm. uh, decorative wall hangings. Yeah. So what it really does for me, I'm trying to express that it doubles down on the belief of, of a certain kind of superiority. Um, that's how, that's how I experienced that. But I also want to want people to realize that you do actually have access, um, to those modes of expression. Um, and you can put whatever you want in them, you know, but sure. there's, there's just so much in that exhibition. I mean, you could we could talk about the fact that in in, in the images images that are specifically from uh, basketball uh, games, when you mm-hmm. focus on the feet and the leg, the lower extremities, what you're really focusing on is not that. You're focusing on the thing that's behind that, which is the crowd. Right. You're watching primarily white audience members watch this body get lifted. You yourself are implicated in the lifting because you are a part of the audience. Nobody walks out unscathed, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, so all that to- goes I mean, in there for me. I, I definitely think that 
I mean, as as a basketball fan, like uh, if after a certain point, if you read enough books or look at enough whatever history of basketball and history of our country, it's impossible to have it watching it be a purely joyful experience because you are thinking about the relationships between the people watching and the people playing and the people coaching and the people playing and the, and the ownership. And, um, and also I think like the arena and where's the arena built and what, what land was that? (laughs) Exactly. But but that's what I meant when it, it it takes a certain kind of researcher to do though, to draw out those connections because that's a kind of sustained research that not everybody's uh, willing to do. And I get that, but everybody does, does their part. So, you know, maybe that's one of the, the positions we need in this in this this de- attempt to develop a new society. You dig? Sure. Wow. Yes. And 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 um and yes, just that that there is value in knowing. I mean, even though I uh, have come to be more critical of of. I mean, I guess it's not basketball as a sport. Just because I've become critical of the way that professional basketball has developed and what it has come to mean and who, who profits like that doesn't, I I still, I think I get to be critical of it because of how much I like it. Uh, You know, like that investment from that care allows for a space um, to, to, I don't know, criticize it from a place of being like, let's, let's undo this a little bit and make it better. And I think the undoing as I'm saying that is reminding me of your threads and that that is a part of, of your tapestries yeah. is, is uh, weaving and threading and undoing when, yep. when you say you're picking at the threads. Um, it's all there. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I loved that from, from before, that this idea of undoing as a way of being proactive or productive. Yep, yep because you, you have to be able to unthink the thing that you've, for years, been required to think Mm-hmm. Like if we if we circle back to what we were talking about in terms of the children with the clan outfits, if they're in the if they're in if they've been inundated with clan rhetoric and propaganda for for twenty years, it's going to be very hard to get to break them to un, to get to, to unthink all of that to undo to unweave to unravel and be able to stare at those threads and really analyze. That's real work. And I'm not quite sure certain people are ready to do that fucking work. It's easy to sit on the to sit around and be like, nah, that's okay. I'm I'm good with this thing over here and be complacent. It's hard to really undo the thing and stare at the, the shambles that uh, result from the, uh, the the labor. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard, and you know it's not for everybody. No, but I do think that like you like using that action as a way to then make things. Whether the, the making can mm-hmm. be the physical object, but the making can also be this conversation that we're having or your yes, writings child. or these other things. Like, I just think that um, we, we are so concerned with production and what is the most valuable form of that and mm-hmm. is, is the question that I think your weavings, your tapestries answer a little bit in this idea of undoing before we do. Right. There has to be. You have to. That's, I like that. I never thought about that, but that is, I guess that is it, right? You undo what you do. You have to, you have to break open the structure and lay the elements out so that you can rebuild it in another way. You, you can't rebuild a car unless you undo the car. 
Yeah, yes. And I think I felt this so much like when I read about the historically about the NBA and about professional basketball, thinking of the role that Jewish people have played Mm -hmm. in the development of the game. And and oftentimes it's ownership and it is Mm -hmm. um, not good ownership. It's it's ownership that mistreats the players. If we think about like Abe Saperstein of the Harlem Globetrotters and and other people exploiting other people's uh, skills and their bodies. And, um, but I needed to know how, what the history of Jewish people were in relationship to basketball, because I'm Jewish and I want to know what, Uh what I'm, what is sort of the, the lineage I'm adding to, um, because I'm not a player. (laughs) So I want to, I'm not inside, I'm outside. So, um, I, I just think like splitting it open can be kind of like this, ugly thing but uh mm. can also kind of uh just lend itself to to a better understanding of what we're dealing with yeah there has to be you're right there, there has to be some kind of uh event in medical history that can be utilized as a metaphor for the need of a, of a wound right it's, mm. a, it's maybe the coma right the forced coma is the need of People are like, well, don't put them in. We, if we put them in a coma, we can isolate the swelling of the brain or something, and we can fix it. But we got to undo all that, right? We got to put them in a place that you wouldn't, re- you would normally not want to go, which I guess is the undoing, in order to right. progress. Yes. So I guess in that sense, a wound is necessary, and uh, you know you have to have a severance so that you can suture something else to those elements. Right. And that's what we're in the middle. I mean, it seems like we're in the middle of it right now, even though it's not the middle. I mean, we're in the middle of like a bad part of it, but like it's been so ongoing that it's like, but we're not, we're not doing the coma. Like we haven't done that part yet, potentially, um, as far as we haven't, we haven't, um, undoing, we haven't undone. We haven't done. We don't have a. We need to go. We need to go. We gotta have a coma, man. I like that. We gotta have a coma. Yeah, that's the answer. I think. Um. There's a lot there, because if I think back, if I think to the Get Lifted series or show and works that are still being made out of that vein, out of that that vein, if I think about that, I I didn't have this initial, I actually did, I think I had this this thought when I read the 100 Years of Lynching book. Uh, I read it and I thought, man, black people are extraordinary, (laughs) at least in the imagination of white folks. And people were like, what do you mean? I was like, if we read this narrative right, because I'm reading it like literally, the narrative is something like this: this this man didn't do this crime, but they said he did it, so they snatch him in the middle of the night out of the out of the uh, jail. <clears throat> they take him to some field after beating him for a while. They lynch him to the they they they, they lynch him to like the very end of his life and try to bring him back. Then they tie him to this bonfire and they fire. You know, they set they set him on fire, and this body leaps they say leap body probably just fell out of the flames. Right. At which point they put hundreds and hundreds of bullets in his body. Well, the man was already really dead before he even got to the fire. The fear of the excess of energy of the surplus of black, black peoples is executed in that moment when you have to kill him 10 times, you have to shoot him 500 times after he done been dead. Right. If we fast forward to today, it's the same thing. I, I would I would argue that maybe basketball works the same way in a, in a in a in a bad way. Like if I I love LeBron, I hate him, but I love him. He's fucking great. He, I actually feel similar with team. the hate love. Like right, it's, it's like when people hated crazy. Michael. Yeah, right. I hate him, but I love him. He's brilliant. I love what he's doing for, for for the world. He's great. 
But if I think about LeBron, I look at LeBron, I'm like, God damn, he is extraordinary. He's a superhero. He's like a superhuman being, right? And when when people, in, and I want to say in the white imagination, when black peoples have been seen as extraordinary, then the, then the forces which were necessary to regulate that black body have been extraordinary themselves in kind. If we look at something, it's almost like a horror flick. I was telling someone the other night, I was like, it's, it's, it's Michael Myers. Everybody's like, well, I was like, they, in the last one, they had to burn the fucking house down after shooting that man 500 times. A white man that wouldn't die? Ooh, no. They wouldn't put up with it for a black man, you know? So there's a way in which, in the white imagination, black peoples are extraordinary and as such have to be put by extra, put down by extraordinary means, you dig? And I'm trying to find inside the arena moments of that. Whether it's sanctioning people's voices, whether you're right, it's like, you know, whether it's Colin Kaepernick, I don't know. There's got to be a way in which the, the 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 athletic structure witnesses or imagines the black body as extraordinary, and it has to be regulated by extraordinary means. That makes sense, right? I mean, if you think about you think about like. Um, I mean, even if it's George Floyd, four people, like four people to do this. Oh, my God. You think about even with me, I've been and I know it's protocol, but I've been in traffic stops with cops where it's more than more than one cop car, you know, hovering you. I remember when I was, you know, in graduate school, the first time at Indiana University, you know, you work, you work all night because you want to keep up with the Joneses. Um, So I would work till two, three in the morning because I was trying to keep up, which I shouldn't have done because it was. I, I should have constructed my own schedule, but that was my first year. Anyways, one night, about two in the morning, I'm walking home uh, from my studio. Uh, it's dark. Um, I have on a, a, a blue button-down uh, shirt and some Hawaiian swim trunks and a, and a pair of uh, Nikes, probably. And I remember walking across, because my, my apartment was next to the football stadium at Indiana University, so you could walk across the parking lot. It's just a parking lot. Nobody cares. And I'm walking across the parking lot. And I remember looking up and seeing a a cop car speeding across the parking lot towards me. And I remember turning around and seeing three more coming from behind. And I had a backpack and an Erica Badu CD in my hand. Ooh, that's when you could listen to CDs. Anyways, and the cop got out of the car. And I knew what was about to happen. And I, I stopped and I had my hands to my side. And the CD was in my one of my hands. I don't remember. And the cop uh, said, where are you going? He questioned me and they detained me for a while. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm a student, uh, an art student. I gave him my, my, my narrative. And he said, I said, well, may I ask why I'm being stopped? And he said, because you fit the description. And of course, me. I said, me? Oh, you, you're telling me there's, a, there's another black man walking the streets of Indiana, uh, Bloomington, Indiana, at two in the morning with a button-down blue shirt and some Hawaiian swim trunks. Really? They said, well, he had a blue shirt on. I said, oh, did he have this blue shirt on? They didn't know. And I remember um, moving my hand that the CD was in, and the cop went for his gun. Wow. And I had a Richard Pryor moment. So there's the moment where Richard Pryor says, I am reaching for my pocket for my wallet because I don't want to be no motherfucking accident. So I announced my movements to the police officer. I said, I am reaching in my pocket for my wallet. This is a this is a compact this a CD in my hand. I will place it on the ground. I had to dictate my 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 movements that way. It was like a play. You dig? I had to tell myself this is what I had to tell them what I'm doing. I realized at that moment I said it took 
well, this is six car. This is three cop cars, six cops to detain me. They must have total fear of the black being. If in their imagination, it took six of them to restrain me. You dig? Yes. But all of that, I'm trying to put in the work. Yes, and that energy. Yeah. What, 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 I mean, I think. Um, it's it translates so seamlessly to how we think of the um, oftentimes our favorite athletes being larger than life. Yeah, uh, and, we... and being able to do things that we couldn't dream of doing to be able to. I mean, I can't believe I'm gonna say this but to be able to hang in the middle of the air is something yeah. that was described about michael jordan like yeah and it's the truth yeah and i mean it, it is it is something that feels other otherworldly in a sense that 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 those actions um but then it, the problem is that um we don't apply the same lens to to the the white athletes or have the same language for describing what they're doing often that's true. We also we don't require white athletes white athletes' bodies to speak in certain ways. Mm-hmm. We just, when it, when it happens, we're we're mesmerized, right? When, when there's a white basketball player who can play, Larry Bird is a motherfucking god. Sure, right? yeah. But he was also a really great basketball player. But when you they had this, I mean, that, he's a perfect. He's he is a perfect model. He came out of Clan Clan Indiana, in my opinion, right? Because uh, they still have that space. Um, and he was dominating on the on the court because he was just that good. He was brilliant. He's a you know really great. Scrappy. Right. So there were there, and I bet if we look at the discourse, there are ways in which they if we like go back into the eighties and read what they were saying. There are ways in which they were talking about him that they weren't talking about the other players, and vice and vice and conversely, mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, there, there's that. There's all of that, but you know when we think about making because. I have to be honest, the black body is made to speak whether it wants to or not. You know, I'm picking up on that in other ways too. You know, I, I love the tapestries and I want to talk more about that, but I'm also doing works in which I'm, I'm, I'm literally trying to literally and metaphorically trying to make the black body speak. So I've done these, I'm doing these new works now, uh, which will be shown a, a ne- another, I think another show that's been postponed for a year. I'm laser engraving rolls of basketball hide. Uh, with words so i the, in the show that um in the show that i'm doing uh in uh savannah at the telfer museum in a year we're gonna have a, a whole wall uh of this laser engraved speech which all the letters will be meticulously adhered to the wall uh so what you'll be looking at is uh it's a speech in which i've uh merged martin luther king's can i have a dream with rodney king's plea for can we all just get along? And I've, t- I've transcribed, I had both speeches transcribed and then in an algorithm smashed them together so that you're reading these two kings speak about black people, you dig? Through the black body. Because if you really look at uh, basketball material, that shit looks like the black body. It's brown football material, that faux leather that we use now. It looks like the black body. You dig? So even in the within the arena, black peoples are playing with black um, representations of themselves in, in in the idea of the ball. You dig? Um, so the wall works are just word pieces uh, 
that are laser engraved and then adhere to the wall with backable material. I should probably put something out on IG, man, so people see it. Yeah. It, uh, so, I well, I'm having a lot of thoughts about this. Wondering if, are these found basketballs or these new basketballs? Oh, I go right to the source. I go to the source they get their material from. I buy the stuff in rolls. Wow. Right? Okay. So then I, 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 my, I have my assistant take the phrases and program them into a laser engraver. And then we laser engrave these rolls, and you can then you can pull the letters off the roll after it's been cut, right? And then we adhere them on the wall so that you can read them. You dig? So they're they're wall installations. I think like uh, what is his name, Lawrence Weiner or something. It's like wall text. Okay. Or Mel Bachner. Blah 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 blah. One one thing that's so interesting too is like the idea of you shopping where the NBA shops. Yes. I feel like that's all, yeah. already kind of this, um, I don't know <laughs> what kind of act it is, but it's some kind of act. <laughs> I, I would, uh, I call it performative in, a, in the linguistic sense of a John Searle or a, uh, not John Searle, uh, Austin in an Austin sense. Cause I think people use the word performative to mean doing a performing. I just don't think that's, I think that's nice. That's like the first step. But I think there's a, a if we read Austin in a certain way, performativity is subversion right what you do it, things become performative when you're doing the thing you say you do uh the the priest says i now pronounce you man and wife well while you're saying it you're doing it uh for me i say or, or when someone says uh, i promise well when i say i promise i'm doing it while i'm doing it you, i'm doing it while i'm saying it mm-hmm. i say that to say that the way i interpret performativity isn't just a doing it's a doubling i do the thing while doing the thing and I think that can be subversive. I think it can be subversive in its reflection. So I, what I believe is that we can take the models from the oppressor and we can utilize those models that they used to break us to break them. Dig? So I'm doing the thing while doing the thing. I just think it's more performative in that way. Yeah. So what, I, what it allows me to do is it allows me to troll, frankly, troll or maraud or stalk uh, structures of dominance for uh their materials and then try to find ways to uh gain access to the materials and then redeploy them yeah that is incredible i think as far as i mean i haven't seen the work i'm I'm sure that will also be incredible but just this as as a as an act as as an act of performance as a um as a way of pushing back about what belongs where and who belongs where with that material. And who's doing the speaking? Who's doing the speaking? Right. I tell my students all the time and day one, I'm like, look, you either talk in this class, or you don't talk. If you haven't talked by mid semester, I'm not talking to you. And they're like, why? It's like, cause if you don't speak up for yourself, someone's going to do the speaking for you. And I'm going to need you to speak up for yourself. Right. So who's talking for whom? That's, that's I'm really into that, that question. Right. Who's the author? Oof. And I, yeah, and I think um, that's so interesting because sport, sports media um, and uh, and I mean, just thinking about The Last Dance as far as whose who's mm-hmm. story and how it got told. And it's not a true documentary. Michael Jordan was too much of a part of it. And all of these things were, were you know, sort of forming your yeah. forming your own um, way to communicate what you want to communicate with the rest of the world. Uh, it's so... Um, yeah, I just think that, that that there is a sense of repurposing of power in that when we yeah. when we ask that question or or a hope to repurpose power. Yeah, my 
I have to be honest. I, like you, I mean, right? We grew up. I I grew up loving that man. You know, my father. My father was born and raised in 1926 in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, where Mar- uh, where um, uh, Michael Jordan was uh, raised. Yes. Um, so we had that. So in the household, we were we were Bulls fans because for us, my my father, you know, my father might say something like, you know, Michael was hometown. Right. But then when you when you realize how problematic this figure was and still is, you start to you you have to and this is and that maybe that's this is my boyhood clan moment moment this is the moment where i have to real i have to unthink the 20 years of 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 adulation or whatever i had for this i had for this figure i had to rethink that and i started to see this man as i'm sure some people most people are some people it's like man this dude's a real dick this dude's a dick i don't want to hang out with this dude this dude's a dick you know, right. I was like, you could have been, the, you're the greatest, you're the greatest basketball player, in my opinion, to ever live. But you're not taking that with you. What you're taking with you when you go to the next life, in my opinion, is you're a dick. And I'm going to need you to fix that. And I was also, and my, my biggest critique of it is he didn't do enough. I don't think he did enough. And that's why I love LeBron, because LeBron's standing up. I mean, if you think about the trajectory of black uh, uh, resistance in terms of sports, in the 60s, they were doing something. We're, we're talking about uh, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, whether and now he's problematic, but he was kind of problematic then. But Jim Brown, all these people table to do the work. And then all of a sudden there was this gap. Yeah. There was this huge gulf of of critique in maybe in some of the 70s into the 80s and the 90s. And no, like nobody and i don't know i can say nobody but in my purview i didn't see anybody really speaking out and they squandered that power and as such they don't have it anymore and michael jordan just don't have that power he have all the money in the world but in reality he just doesn't have the power he thinks he might have you dig yeah i think you know even he put out a statement about what's going on now and it does seem it does seem empty um because he 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 doesn't I mean, I know, you know, he's given more money away than I could ever think to have, nope. <laughs> but right. it, it's also, I don't know if that's the, that's the answer long term, uh, is, is just dumping money on things if we can't oh, change I, to, our heads. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think, I think, I think because he's a capitalist, he, he thinks in that way, mm-hmm. his sense, his sense of of investment is literal right capitalism investment is financial his sense of investment is that I, some of our sense of investments is not we need to be we need to be on the street doing real work and i don't want to say he's not doing real work but he didn't change anything in the 90s when he had all that power i'm just being honest i know sure. it sounds bad but no, that's reality i mean i think yes and, and <laughs> like <laughs> it's this i i agree I agree, and but and I think that you know this gets into a, a complex issue where, I, I don't know what I get to. It's just because I'm. Uh, it's just tricky when you don't I'm, know how far you, you don't know how far your critique is allowed to go. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a white fan, and I'm not playing, and I didn't. I mean, like, but I mean, even there's no one's lived Michael Jordan's life, so no one necessarily. I just think that like there is this right. there is this um, relationship between the fans and the players where it's like oh you should do this or you should do that and and I mean I think it's 
problematic when when race is involved. Um, so even mm. though I, I wish she had done more and I wish she was like, um, you know, the whole Republicans buy sneakers too did not happen or whatever, or it was a joke and it wasn't actually real. And he campaigned for um, Harvey Gantt, I think. Um, uh, I, I, so I, I wish those things and I wish he was out now doing things too. But I, it's, I, I just, I think it... Oh, well, just... what if what if I were to play devil's advocate against uh, devil's advocate against my own critique, which would be something like maybe what I'm doing now is reenacting the same kind of extra um, extra human superhuman qualities uh, that the white imagination has for black 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 bodies. Right. I'm requiring him to do more more than he might have been able to do. Right. So maybe in, in a way I am I am at fault. I am I am doing a I am looking at him as a financial Michael Myers or something like that. You dig? Not that something has to be uh, killed off or something, but that I'm I'm requiring extra of him that maybe I don't have the right to do. Right. But, I, I think that's that's where I could I could I could play the devil advocate that way. You dig? Yes. But I do think that we should require like people who have the platform to do the most good, we should require them to do the most good, just like we should require ourselves to do the most if possible. I think it's right. just when we add that element of the fact that, um, oh, it's just, and I, I mean, I'm looking back on it from like, tw- you know, 25 years. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just, it's also just this perspective. And I think, you know, we we had talked about this, but when, when the 2017 NBA season started, I was like, I wish everyone would kneel. Like, I don't want anyone to stand mm-hmm. for the national anthem. I want all the players to kneel. And then that's still, even though that's still me saying, like, I forget the word. It's like um, having requirements that need to be met from a body that is not my own. Yeah. And that's that's like a problem. That. It is. Because, because you, because then we... Pre- we end up, and people don't want to hear, but we end up colonizing other people. Yes. Right. I require you to do these things. Like, well, who the fuck am I? Who am I? Right. I'm, I'm, my 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 requirements of someone else's really right. My requirements or my policing of someone else's body is not real. I should not. I should not demand that. If you dig, I mean, how, how I, I think sometimes I'm like, yeah, yes, I I expect for those who have the the, the platform to do it to change the world, to change the world, you know, for the better. But at the same time, I have to think, well, if I had the platform, would I be, if I had that platform, because I think I do have a platform, but if I had that platform, would I be, would I be Michael Jordan or would I, would I have given up the money uh, so that I can make a statement? You know, Dave Chappelle is a hell of a a man. Mm -hmm. You know, I appreciate that. And I think that like, um, my hopes for them to kneel are are maybe slightly less problematic than the rule that requires them to stand. Uh, right, right, right. But it's coming from the same place of being like, I think this of you and this is what I need you to do because of that. And it's just, um, that is what has to, to, to be shifted. And Mm. And and to allow for other spaces for that to happen. I mean, you know, the the NBA is different from the NFL, and and yeah. you know, Colin Kaepernick is different from LeBron James, and it there's no reason to like just apply the same uh, narrative onto to each. But 
I did. Um, and and so like un, undoing that a little bit has been has been helpful as far as. Good. Yeah. I mean, not helpful to anyone else but me. <laughs> but I mean, just as far as like thinking about this at another at another level. Yeah, I think I think we need to start. I, I actually advocate that the level we, we need to be thinking at is dimensional. Uh, I think that dimensional level is what was mathematical. Um, and I think it, it requires us to make connections that are dense. Uh, they're dense as hell. And sometimes they're obscure and sometimes they're going to take work to achieve, but it requires us to do the work to find those things and make those, to make those things make sense. Uh, I was thinking about, um, there's a, there's something that happens in my work that I struggle with that I'm sure other people should struggle with when they see the work, which is like, how, how do you, how do you justify the repetition or the reproduction of those images? Um, right. It's like, like uh, images of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how you keep showing it? I said, well, cause I'm trying to understand it. I mean, if you all were in my studio all the time, you, you would realize what you all see in the real world, what I show in shows, is only like five percent of my out, my output. Sure. I have I've I have images of Michael Brown forty times over in my studio. I have images of uh, race riots forty times over. You know, um, I sit with these images because I want to understand what they're doing, and I put them in the world so I can understand what they're doing, and in hopes that other people will understand what they they could be possibly doing the the images themselves. Um, you know, Sadia Hartman has that kind of moment where 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 she she quarrels with herself and and essentially with her with her reader as to whether or not we should reproduce uh frederick douglas douglas's narrative of the beating of his aunt aunt hester hmm. and i have to be honest i think you have to reproduce it because if you hadn't if if she hadn't have, if, if frederick douglas hadn't have reproduced it then and then she hadn't picked it up years later right I may not have known it existed. And if I didn't know it existed, then I, I wouldn't have known that Aunt Hester existed and her resistance existed. And I wouldn't have recognized that that resistance is biologically wedded to me in my DNA. I wouldn't know that. And that as such, I wouldn't be able to sit with myself and try to locate it so that I can utilize it. I think those images have to be in the world so people can tap into themselves what they can tap into. I just I I remember when I was in at the University of Cincinnati as a professor years ago, and some of the colleagues, actually all the colleagues, were making very polite work, right? And I was like, we live in Cincinnati, everything is messed up here. You know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and you, we're making pots with flowers. What is this? But then I thought it's not for everybody. So, well, how can I critique them? You dig? Yeah, I, I, yes, it's it, it's a really hard question because I I want to I just I I understand the frustration of wanting how can uh, we put our time over here when this is happening over there, mm-hmm. um, and I I mean there there has to be a place for all of it, but um, I just don't know if all of it gets the same attention or should get the same attention, um, right. But then there, there's that other thing that you were talking about before about my requirements for other people. You know, I got to a point where I was like, why do I require these people to talk about stuff they don't care about? 
And why am I spending much energy, my efforts on this? My effort should be towards whatever we want to call the movement. And that's that. Luckily, that you know, with a little with a little guidance, I was able to be like I was able to put that kind of disappointment away, uh, and and you know, charge through, which allowed me to get where I am now, and just deal with the images that I want to deal with, you know. Hmm, yeah, so and I, I think it's it, and it's just really important to look at. Um, I mean, you know. The Fox News thing, you're, I still think that that's pretty incredible to start your day. Um, do it like in increments. Oh do it like five minutes. <laughs> do it. In, I'm telling everybody, do it in increments. You have to see what the enemy is working on. Uh, yes. Um, but I mean, I also think that uh, I went through the stage with the Nick Oot Napalm Girl photograph where I just mm-hmm. made photocopies of it, like 500 mm-hmm. of them and was just, you know, putting them over here, putting them over there, hanging them on the wall and just thinking... Um, not, not understanding necessarily yet why I was just looking at that image over and over again, but that's a, that's a game changing image. That's an image that changed. That was like the first time that, you know, we, we had a, people had a response and things changed because of that response to an image. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, just getting hung up uh, and wanting to unpack and wanting, and in some way, like having some, some kind of reverence for the, for the image, uh, at thinking like this is something I need to spend time with is, is, uh, is not unhealthy. I don't think even if that image is of some suffering. Yeah. I don't think it's unhealthy. I think, I think you have to deal with it. I think you really have to deal with it. Um, I think in, in slave times, they call it a coming through. This is a, what's called a spiritual transformation. Um, I think in, in, in in part in the parlance of the, the, the times in which I was born, we call it you come to Jesus moment. I'm gonna need you to have you come to Jesus moment, which means you come through and you realize you, you have a reckoning with either yourself or the world. But you're gonna have to have that come to Jesus moment. I think right now we're on the precipice of a come to Jesus moment, but I think the only come to Jesus moment come occurs or arrives. Uh, it, it only arrives from the future with a burning. I just I just really think I unfortunately will say that I say that because I think it's gonna happen. I think. People are going to get angrier and angrier. And when these trials occur, certain people are not going to be charged to the fullest extent. And I think there's going to be a lot of anger. And I think that anger is going to be displaced in in problematic ways. But hopefully people will start. Uh, I, I, I Actually, you know what wins me over when I watch the protests and I see protesters calling out the looters like, no, nah, don't do that. Don't do that. I love that. That's beautiful. I, I think that's just great. Yeah, I there are. Uh, I just I don't. It's complicated, as you were saying, because like who gets to say that there are parts of it that kind of give you hope necessarily? Because like mm-hmm. I think that um, like you know this whole there was a discussion going around on Twitter this morning about like that wanting white people to stop sharing photos of black children at these protests because you know saying like oh this is so cute it's like. Well, they shouldn't have to be at the protest. Um, so what are we sort of sharing or, or like who gets to be hopeful about what? And but that aside, like there have been a lot of moments that have just been like we, there could be things that happen on the other side of this that are for the collect that happen collectively for the collective that are better, that make us better people. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think so. I really do. I think there's a. I think one. I think one thing 
which is happening is that people are finding different creative ways uh, to resist. And I think that's necessary. Um, I really appreciate what's happening outside the White House. I've been waiting for that forever. Mm, yeah. Um, that's beautiful. They went, they went, that's beautiful. Are you talking about they the, the, the painting the street? There's that. There's the, there's the protest outside. I mean, I was, I was listening to, and this is, this is important, right? I was listening to, or watching Fox News the other day and, 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 and Dan Bongino was on and he was talking about, because he used to be Secret Service and he was talking about the protesters at the White House and he set out an alarm. He's like, I, he said, I need you all to understand what's happening. And I was like, oh, let me lean in. What is this fool about to say? Because I am thirsty. <laughs> and he said, he's like, this is not your run-of-the-mill protest. This is tactical. And I was like, what? He was like, he said, I talked to some of my friends who are still in the Secret Service and he said, he said, the protesters are going to places that are weak spots in the White House and they know it. And I said, that come, I said to myself, I said, that's an inside job. That's awesome. That means someone has studied the plans for controlling populations or protesters yeah. and they've subverted those plans. That's the performativity. They took the model and they flipped it. Right. Yeah. That's military. That's a militaristic shit. I think that's awesome. You know, you're like, oh, they expect us to do this. Let's do this instead. You know? Right. That's awesome. And I think that, I, to be honest, I think that does tie into my work, right? Because I'm trying in the work to present work in a way that you've never seen before, and it's disarming. So, for, like I said, people go to the show and they say, this dude's using tapestry. Well, I've never seen someone use tapestry like this. That's the first disarming thing. And it's like, well, these images are charged, but they're wedded to a material that's not so charged. Right? People are like, I want to look away, but it's so beautiful to stare, at which to stare. I know that's the point. You know, uh, we're all a part of that thing. So I think, I think my 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 takeaway is I love this idea of learning the model so that you can subvert it and use it against the the model itself. I like that a lot. I like that performativity or yes. sense of, my sense of performativity. And I think I think this was from one of the lectures I watched, but it's just that the idea of like seducing people. Oh through yeah, through the materials like having like you're just saying. Oh, that's so beautiful. Whoa. You know, like, right. ah, and that, that sort of, um, push and pull between comfort and discomfort. And then kind mm. of the, but also the more, you know, maybe like the, the, the more, I, I don't know, this, the more you dig in, the more you're able to feel oh. some, co- co- some kind of level of comfortability to, to better understand what these images mean. Yeah. You know, I, you're right. Um, I've always believed that seduction and laughter are necessary to get the shit I want out. Because uh, the stuff I want out is pretty charged, right? So if you, my models would be like a Richard Pryor. I mean, he tell a joke about setting himself on fire, but he makes it funny. Yeah. And, and in that, what he's really telling you is, I want, I want out of this life. This, is, this life has been hard for me. I am tired. This drug is not working the way I want it to anymore. Because he has to consume more and more, you know, because you get that tolerance, right? And, and he's at that moment, he's like, well, I'm, I'm over it. I'm just going to set myself on fire. And if you watch like his movie, uh, Jojo English, you see that you're like, he really, he wanted out. Right. But he's telling you he has a suicidal tendency through a joke. That's badass. That's br- you. Not many. I don't think not, but maybe five people on in his lifetime, or at least in our, in our, in our spectrum of life who could make you laugh at thinking about killing yourself. That's what black people do. We, 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 
laugh through the fucking pain. We seduce you with the laughter. If you listen to, uh, I can send you this when we're done, right? If you listen or watch the YouTube clip of Maya Angelou reading the Paul Lawrence Dunbar text, uh, we I think we wear masks. She has she laughs throughout the whole thing, and she explains to you that that laughter is just a mask to seduce you. Right. So that you believe that I'm really happy. Right. If you think about the way slaves did, I'm going to laugh and I'm going to uh, shuck and jive all day. And you don't understand that in three hours when all the lights are turned off, I'm out. I got a boat waiting for me. I'm about to flee. But you didn't know that. Right. Because you saw me smiling. I'm going to seduce you. You know, I, gr- I grin real, real big with these pearly whites so that I can blind you so I can steal your pockets. You dig? Yeah. But black people are not the only ones who do it. Women do it. Sure. I think it's great. You know, my mother used to tell me, she's, I said, that's, that, that's daddy's idea. She's like, no, that's not. You know, I just made him think it was his idea. Oh, yeah. I'm always planting seeds in my right? boyfriend's head to see if I can, we can go to the restaurant I want to go to later or something. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, there's, there's a way of, of, of assuaging a situation so we can get what we want. And I just think in terms of my tapestry work, yeah. whether it's the seduction of the material or it's some of the humor that if you want to talk about, we could talk about that. Some of the humor in the work, uh, which is a cynicism mm. and a sarcasm. It's, it's sometimes cynicism, sometimes it's sarcasm always irony um that's in the work that i get from from lenny bruce richard pryor george carlin my three comedian my my three comedic fathers i guess you could call them yes i think even the when you were mentioning earlier the different sized guns in that the print of uh, mm-hmm. like the, the white the cop yeah having a smaller gun just um yeah. That's the joke. I, my, my hope is that people sit with the work long enough to see those things. Right. I, I, I was, I think I'm, I guess I'm lucky, you know, people have responded positively in the most part to the work and people every now and then send an email like I've been to the show six times and every time I come back, I see something, you know, I said, that's the point. Yeah. You don't, you don't sit down and read Derrida or Heidegger one way, one, one pass. You, you deal with it. You know, Derrida's hard. Fred Moten is hard. You don't sit with Fred Moten and go through Fred's work like it's nothing. Like you're reading a damn JCPenney catalog. You sit with it like you're really doing work. Because the, 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 on a very basic level, the linguistic acrobatics that he is doing in that, in that territory is just phenomenal. And if you can link on to the structure that he has developed through that, those acrobatics, then you will really be on a kind of liberation that he is trying to get us to go to. You dig? Sorry, I, I get into a moment. Please. You're preaching. Yeah, no, and I mean, like, from the church. even the undoing, like, the undoing wasn't something that I was aware of until, mm-hmm. well, until we talked and then I looked at it again. I mean, just go, I mean, I feel really lucky that I've had gotten the chance to talk about all of this with you. So I have this other insight that might not have been available. But I just, like, that. that's this other layer that's just so obvious and also so, so hidden. And I, and I think mm-hmm. that, that 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 has its own um, power to have something that's both, uh, of course, and also, what? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I mean, that, that's, yeah. yeah, that tension is, is powerful. I mean, in the new works that I'm doing right now in my home, because my studio's closed, smaller works, we're doing things like picking the tapestries from behind and then stitching images in that picking and then flipping them from the other side and picking them from the front so that the that certain images are literally embedded in the weed Mm -hmm. 
So it literally looks like the 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 total image, which is the tapestry, has consumed or is based off of the images that are I'm putting behind it. Dig? And it's very literal in the sense that I first started picking the image to see if the image was real. Like, what is behind this flesh? Only to find that there's nothing behind the flesh. So now I'm trying to put something behind it, you dig? Yeah. Hmm. So, and they're so, small, so from a distance you can't see, but you get close, you start finding these rewards embedded within the structure of the weave. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I'm excited to see those. Me too. Whenever um, physical art comes comes back. <laughs> yeah. Into physical spaces. Um, great. I, I mean... Not great, but I think that we have a lot. We've discussed a lot here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, this was about you talking and and sure, about good, I mean us good, going back good. and forth. Thank know. you, Abby. Of course, I appreciate you. No, thank you so much. This is just um, it's it's I'm learning, and it's great to get to share stuff with you too. And it's just thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the interest in the work. Of course, we will talk very and soon. The platform. Yes, All right, be stay well. Stay safe. Likewise, be okay, well. Bye.